Hello. Hey. How's it going, mate? Pretty good. How we how we feeling today? Good. Um. Good. Feeling are you, good. Are you trying to be Australian? Dude, I'm succeeding in being Australian. No. I'll it's tell you what, people. Bad. People honestly just thought that I was Australian right there. They were like, "Whoa, is this a different host?" Because I think they have an Australian on the podcast now. I don't think anyone thought that. I guarantee you somebody did. No, I think they were like, oh, that's a bad Australian accent. Why is he talking like that? I think that people are kinder than you give them credit for. Just because you're mean to me doesn't mean that everybody is. <laughs> Just saying it didn't sound that Australian to me. but very Australian. Good try. You've never even been to Australia. You wouldn't know. So? Yeah, that's what I thought doesn't mean i don't know what an australian accent sounds like seems like it does in any case uh we were just going over some of our analytics and dude we have more listeners in australia than we do in canada wow it's crazy if you're an australian and you listen to the podcast please write in contact at wewatchpodcast.com send us an email we'd love to hear from you yeah, thank you. That's Most pretty cool. Most specifically, I'm actually really curious how you heard about us because we do mostly just like word of mouth, I think. <laughs> yeah. In that we don't pay for advertising on social media. Well, and that must have been recently, right? We haven't always had listeners in Australia. No, we haven't always. It seems like it's kicked up fairly recently. Thanks, guys. So we appreciate it. It's That feels really good. Yeah. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. <laughs> um... So, oh, uh, hello and welcome to a very special episode of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them, the only podcast on the internet where we watch a movie and then talk about it. There may be others where other people talk about movies or watch movies and then talk about them, but this is the only one where we do it. My name is Andrew Westensko. I am the host of this year podcast, joined at my right hand in life and in all things by Becca. Hi, that was really fast. I know, I got through it quick. I like had to stop and take a breath for a second. I didn't. For you. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, but I am joined by Becca and nobody else today. Yeah, the reason this episode is special is because Sid ditched us again. Ditched us again. So we have to say it's special because it can't be a regular episode. Sid's not here. Can't do it. She's like, uh, hey guys, I am going to go run a marathon. Half marathon. Half marathon. Not even a whole one. <laughs> Sid, no excuses. And then she's like, oh, I'm too tired. Well, that wasn't a good Sid voice. <laughs> I did a better Sid voice than that. Neither of these were Sid voices. No, mine was. It wasn't very good. Um, I just want the world to know. She doesn't have that high of a voice. I know. I gotta bring it down a little bit. I just want the world to know how much I love Timothy Chalamet and... uh. He's my everything. So I'm going to dedicate my half marathon to him. I'm going to dedicate my half marathon to Timothy Chalamet. And hopefully he'll see me and take me to Hollywood. And that is not a joke. That is completely real and happened. Oh my gosh. You guys just thought that Sid was on the podcast. <laughs> it's crazy. You guys didn't know that I was a master of accents, huh? I hope she listens to this and knows that we're making fun of her. Well, if she was here, we could just make fun of her in person. That's true. Bingo. Um, today's a very special episode of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them, mostly because Sid's not here. 
So it's not a numbered episode. We're just going to have a topic. And Becca and I are going to riff on it a little bit. And it's something that we are interested in talking about. Um, because a momentous event happened last Monday? Or just Monday? Uh, Monday. Heavens, we watched too much. We watched yeah. this thing way too fast. Yes, um, we did. Mindhunter Season 2 came out on Netflix. Um, Mindhunter is the escapades of the escapades makes it sound a lot goofier than it is uh it's the happenings at the very beginning of the formation of the behavioral science unit at the fbi which is the unit tasked with um interviewing cataloging uh violent uh well i guess violent is implied but serial killers for the most part using what they find to assist in building um, criminal profiles and helping catch uh, repeat offenders based on their signatures and common patterns that they have found across people who commit these kinds of crimes. Is that a good description? Yes, that was a great description. Thank you. We watched it very fast. We watched it in three days? Yes, we watched because it I wasn't three here sessions, for three right? days. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, we watched it across three sessions. It's nine episodes. Um, and the last, on Friday night, we watched four hours of Mindhunter. <laughs> 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 but we got pizza and called it good. Yep, that's all we did. Um, and the first season of this, is it a TV show? It's on Netflix? Miniseries? What do you call that? I don't know. It depends on how many seasons there will be, I think. But it's not on TV. It's on Netflix. Do we still call it a TV show? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Uh, the first season of this show uh, really caught our attention. And I didn't even know that it was created by David Fincher when we first got into it. I saw it a few episodes in. In the credits, It was one of the episodes was directed by him. He's like a creator of the show, but he doesn't direct every episode. He directs some of them. Uh, but he's like a creative director of the show and his presence is very much felt throughout the show. Um, so we kind of just wanted to give our thoughts on Mindhunter, uh, mostly season two. Uh, season one is great. You should check it out. It's very interesting. It focuses uh, mostly on kind of the struggles that the BSU had to get rolling. Basically, it starts with the idea phase of them uh, pitching it to the higher ups, basically to pay them to do this and also to allow them to travel to interview these serial killers. And I think they talked to a handful of people, but the, the most notable and the most recurring person in the first season is Ed Kemper, who's a real treat. That's one word for it. Um, he committed some very heinous crimes, which were sexually motivated, and we don't mark our podcast as explicit, so <laughs> I don't know how much I can say. Um, it's very gross, and there's a lot of rape. Yes. Of both living and deceased people. Mm-hmm. It's pretty gross. And... The show is really captivating because every serial killer that they interview, like, I don't know, those scenes are just mind-blowing. 
and they have the serial killers are not cuffed they're just sitting in a room and they try to get kind of friendly with them and it's super captivating and just can't look away yeah there's like a scene in the first season where they get pizza with ed kemper and just like have lunch with him while talking about the horrendous things that he did because ed kemper one of the reasons he's the focus of the first one of the first season is he's probably the most forthcoming person that they talk to he's like very willing to go into his thought process and why he did what he did and what motivated him and all these kind of things uh but the first season is fascinating um it's a little bit slow moving, but that's just because there's not a ton of action. It's very dialogue and character driven. And that doesn't change across the show. That stays consistent into season two. But it does feel just so intense. Like, I think this is something that we'll probably dive into a little bit more. But one thing that we both noticed in both seasons is just how they can make um, just a conversation between two people feel just like filled with tension the entire scene oh absolutely and that was that was the absolute strength of the first season is and and that's what i mean when i say that you can feel uh fincher's influence throughout because he he creates these incredibly intense situations based only on dialogue he's not like a super action-packed director if you look at his most famous films you look at something like uh the social network and that entire movie thrives on being able to turn um these scenes of dialogue into essentially action scenes (laughs) and that's done a lot of the strength in the in the social network comes from its editing and its script but fincher's presence i mean he's the director of it so he 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 is responsible for bringing all those elements together. Uh, same thing with like Gone Girl. There's a yeah. few scenes of like intense violence, like when she, spoiler, uh, kills what's his face. What is his um, name? He's got uh, Neil he's Patrick got, Harris. Neil Patrick Harris. Yep, when she kills Neil Patrick Harris, that's pretty gruesome. Um, but even something like Fight Club is not as action-packed as you would expect it to be being about a fight club. Like, it's very dialogue and character-driven. Seven, in a lot of the same way. Like, that movie uh, thrives on its dialogue, specifically the third act. Like, this is where Fincher's strength lies, is taking these really dialogue and character-driven stories and making them feel like action movies. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think there's even like almost the temptation with something like Mindhunter that you could do a lot of like reenactment of some of the crimes. I mean, it would be pretty graphic. Um, People would love it. Exactly. Like you could do that with something like this, but they just don't like, yeah, they don't. Most you see is like some like sideways pictures of crime scenes or things like that. Yeah. They don't even do like a lot of head on crime scene photos. And I love that about the show that like, you you still get all that tension you still get all like anything that you would want from a an action movie or even a movie about a serial killer and but you don't get all the yeah. graphic um scenes. if this isn't obvious by the way i want to point it out we're going to be spoiling season two so if you haven't seen it go check it out um jumping back into the point you made though i think that we get 
more intensity out of the way they handle it, though. Because even if you think about it, um, Ed Kemper describing what he did is much more intense than watching a reenactment, I think. Because if we're watching a reenactment, we know more or less what's going to happen, right? Yeah. We know that he's going to do some gruesome thing. He's going to cut somebody's head off. Like we know it at, at at some point we figure out what's going to happen depending on if they show like one reenactment or if they do a lot of it or like while he's describing it, they show it or whatever. But like having them just sitting in a cell or not a cell, but like a meeting room mm-hmm. uncuffed, super vulnerable. You, I, th- I feel like that's more intense because you don't know how the scene is going to play out. He could say anything. And to that point, like Holden and Bill could say anything. Anything can happen. There's a lot more possibility in the situation of them just sitting and talking than there is of us watching a serial killer kill somebody because we know they're going to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, yeah, we get we get that tinge of like, or like that that prick that you get from graphic violence where it's just like, but like you can't look away. Something that like funny games mocks really well, right? Or not mocks, but like points out to you, like you're into this and you're going to watch because of this. Yeah. It avoids that and gives us a situation where it could play out in any number of ways. So while we do get that hit of hearing him talk about what a horrendous person he is, the scene itself could play out in a million ways. And that's what makes like the season finale of season one, for example, so effective where like the big emotional climax of that season is literally uh, Holden getting a hug from Ed Kemper. And it's the creepiest, most awful feeling watching it happen. It is, but because it's so charged, they've gone so deep into Kemper's mind and understanding why he's done these things and how messed up he is. And then the little speech that Kemper gives beforehand where like Holden has started to feel too comfortable with him. So Kemper like tells him flat out, like you're alone with me. I could murder you right now. Mm -hmm. And then he hugs him. Like the emotional climax of the first season is a hug. Think about that. It's crazy. Yeah. I, that's such a good point. I don't think I like saw it in that way. Um, but I also think just like seeing someone like Ed Kemper or anybody else that they interviewed that looks relatively normal. I mean, they all look creepy, but you know, like relatively normal and just like hearing the way they talk about their crimes is just terrifying Oh yeah, to like think that human beings can do that. And so I think that's another aspect that makes it so tense. Yeah, and so I think that the first season, apart from being maybe a little bit slow at parts, is pretty phenomenal. Oh, yeah. The second season is a bit more of a mixed bag. Yeah, I think it depends on what you liked about the first season, if you like the second season. For sure. But I think I think that the... I guess we'll just get into it. Yeah. Um, the second season follows kind of two... Well, a few branching storylines, right? Yeah. Um, they do some more interviews with killers, but then the big push of the second season is the Atlanta child murders. That there was this neighborhood in Atlanta in uh, the late seventies, early eighties, and by the end of it, something like thirty kids had gone missing, and most of them uh, turned up dead. Yeah. 
And it was a big part of what put the BSU on the map as far as, uh, I guess, solving crimes goes rather than just uh, investigating and cataloging serial killers. The issue is, is that that takes up the second half of the season, whereas it's hinted at a couple of times in the first half of the season, but like, it's like you, you blink halfway through the fourth episode and all of a sudden these Atlanta murders are the focus of the season where they weren't before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like the first three, maybe four episodes are very, very similar to well, the first up to, season. Up to five even because five, episode five is where they interview Manson. Oh, that's right. So yeah. Yeah. Most of the season then, or the first, a good chunk of it is very similar to the first season in that they're just interviewing. It's focused on like the characters and storylines of the main characters of Holden and Bill and Wendy. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, it just shifts to just being about this case rather than about the people. Yeah. And I think that uh, that for me at least was really jarring. And kind of put me off balance, I think, mm-hmm. because my favorite part of the show, and I think the most compelling part of the show, um, are these interviews that they do with the serial killers. I'm like morbidly curious about this. And so like um, almost every single person that they interview over the course of both seasons, I've like heard about and researched about um, I mean, I don't know if I need to plug it because it's like the most popular podcast in the country right now. But last podcast on the left, they do like really, really detailed breakdowns of these serial killers' lives leading up to their crimes and the crimes themselves and then what comes out of it. So like a lot of these guys like Ed Kemper had been, I I was familiar with them uh, because of that podcast. Um, But like I said, I think the most compelling part of the show is these hyper intense uh interviews that they do and i think that for me at least the the emotional climax of the show kind of hit with manson when they interviewed manson yeah so where you get the emotional climax of the first season in in like the last seconds of the last episode to me this one peaked pretty high in episode five and then after that, they, like, tried to shift the entire focus of the show. Yeah. I, yeah, like, I get that. That's not really what, like, the problem I have with the season as much. Because I do think that, like, shifting to um, a current case was really smart for them. And, like, it's cool to see like all these interviews and all these profiles that they've created build up to them actually like putting it to use. Like, I think that's good, like a good storyline, but I think that they shouldn't have dropped off just like completely dropped off any of the other storylines. Let me phrase it a different way because I think narratively it's fine because it follows the timeline, right? They did a bunch of interviews and then Atlanta was where they really, where the BSU kind of transitioned, right? I'm not an expert by any means. I've done a little bit of reading since we watched the season. And from what I understand, that's basically how it went down that like the Atlanta murders were a huge turning point for the BSU as far as their focus goes. My issue with it 
was the thematic shift. It seemed like the first half of the season were covering and exploring a certain set of themes. And then the second half of the season uh, got into an entirely different uh, set of ideas, right? Mm -hmm. The first half of the season to me was almost similar to the idea behind funny games where like they're showing you these incredibly fascinating conversations with these serial killers. They go talk to uh, the son of Sam. They go, you have another interview with Ed Kemper. They talk to Charles Manson, uh, Tex Watson. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Um, They talked to a couple that I wasn't familiar with. I can't remember their names. I'm trying to remember their names, but I I don't. But what it was, and then you have, it's, it, it was interspersed with these scenes because at the beginning of the season, they get a new boss, right? Um, and he's really interested in advancing the BSU as a major part of the FBI. He wants to put them on the map, essentially. So he keeps shopping Bill and Holden around to all of these higher-ups at the Bureau. And we have several scenes of kind of contrasting the two of them where you get uh, Holden getting really scientific and into the nitty-gritty, which is really the value of the department, right? He's talking about, we're noticing these trends, and we see X and Y, and we notice this and that, and this is the line we're putting through. And, like, that's the real value of the BSU, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's where they will provide value to the Bureau moving forward. And nobody gives a crap. And so then you throw Bill in there and he essentially starts telling war stories, which is basically just repeating what these serial killers have said. And everybody's just hanging on his every word. So I think that the first, and then you have this other uh, subplot of Bill's kid essentially being involved in a murder. He doesn't Mm -hmm. kill anybody, but he was present when this little boy was killed and suggested that they lay his body out on a cross. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I love that. That's like the whole idea of like guilt and what, like when you are actually guilty and when you're not like that was, I'm really glad that they included his son in that whole story because it did bring some interesting things. For sure. But I think that the first half of the season for me, the through line and what I found, like I said, most compelling was this idea they explored of our culture's and I'm going to, I'm going to mess up this word fetishization. I said it right. Fetishization of this kind of violence and of these killers Mm -hmm. and basically looking at you in the audience and saying, you're watching this, you're interested in this, this is messed up. Mm -hmm. And like, again, asking you almost asking the audience, like, are you more compelled by what Holden is saying or what, bill is saying because the purpose of the bsu and the purpose of what they wanted to accomplish was not just to go around and talk to these guys and get their stories like they it was it was scientific right Mm -hmm. and it feeds into like holden's a really interesting character as far as that feeding into his ego and and how that plays into things and then you have dr carr in there as well but to me that was the through line of the first half of the season was like looking at these things from a cultural standpoint as well as a scientific standpoint and really asking the question of is this healthy for us as a culture 
to be so obsessed with these serial killers and psychopaths. Well, and they even almost directly asks you, asks us that through um, Wendy and Holden and the Manson interview. Yeah. Because Holden just only wants to interview Manson this whole time. Yeah, he buys a new microphone. He gets cool sunglasses. Like, uh-huh. And Wendy is like, he doesn't fit the profile of other serial killers. He didn't kill anybody. He's, he didn't kill anybody. He's not what we do. Uh huh. Like he's a cult leader. He's not a murderer, but Holden wanted to interview him because he's the most famous serial killer. Yeah. And even like their boss, uh, Ted, um, he's right on board. He's like, yeah, I'll get you Manson. Go talk to Manson, whatever. Uh huh. So that like, even like Wendy almost directly asks Holden that exact question of like, isn't this you? Like, fetishizing fetishizing these murders and these murderers and like yeah for sure yeah like the, those were some interesting themes and like yeah hard questions that the audience was asked through those first episodes so that's and then the second half of the season really shifts onto these atlanta murders and gets into a lot more of like uh the inefficiency and the overly bureaucratic nature of law enforcement and um, the idea of like it gets into this really interesting kind of back and forth between Holden and Bill and the sheriff or not the sheriff. Who's the the guy? He's just another FBI. Agent. No, not Jim. Uh, the old white guy. What is his position? Do you remember? Wait, which old white guy? The guy that they have to go through for everything. He like reports to the commissioner. I don't know who you're talking about. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what is he? The poli- is he the police chief? I think so. Okay. Chief police. Uh, it sets up this interesting dynamic of like Holden really trying to... Uh, uh, he has this profile in mind and like he only wants to look for people inside of the profile and it opens up this interesting dialogue between them of like are you only looking for evidence that fits your theory or are you looking to solve the crime like do you want to do you want to find a murderer or do you want to prove that the bsu is worthwhile yeah and like that idea of like ambition versus you know a- actual actual accomplishment and actually can like contribution that's an interesting i guess uh, conversation to have right not just for them but like for people as a whole like do we value more um our position and our own notoriety or like getting something done and actually contributing and i think that's an interesting theme as well there's also a lot of uh like themes on racial tension and uh you know a divide in a community that can exist along racial lines and like there's a lot of interesting things going on in the second half my issue is like there's a lot of interesting things going on in the first half and a lot of compelling things happening in the second half they're just very different from each other Mm -hmm. and all of the things that happen in the first half just get completely forgotten not resolved very well and just like left yeah so it's like the like i said the most compelling parts of the first half of the show end up coming off like fan service as in you get the idea that like fincher and everybody was like 
oh, well, we got to do some interviews, so let's just toss them on the beginning. But the story, it, it was like they had this, they set out and they were like, the story we want to tell are these Atlanta murders. Mm-hmm. But we have to get there somehow. So let's just toss in some interviews along the way. Like specifically, like the thing I was most excited for coming into the entire series, and like I said, I think the most impressive scene across the whole season is the interview with Manson. Yeah. And it ended up having absolutely zero bearing on the rest of the show. And almost an entire like almost half an episode is dedicated to interviewing Manson and Tex Watson. And that has absolutely no bearing on the rest of the show. Well, and like just pretty much everything that happens like in the first half of the show this whole relationship develops between wendy and her girlfriend and then everything happens with bill's son like you get these really great character stories yeah and even specifically with with bill's son through the first half it's really interesting because it's about it's about the son at the beginning Uh and then somewhere along the way it transitions into being more about bill's marriage Mm mm-hmm and again, there's another like interesting conversation to be had there of like somebody with this kind of a job having a family and like, does that affect your family? Like, as I'm saying, like, that's an interesting conversation and like. Well, ha- and it, it paralleled really well with what was actually happening in yeah. the interviews and the things that they were talking about. But then. All know, of a sudden it becomes about the disintegration of Bill's marriage rather than about his son. Uh-huh. And his son just becomes a set piece essentially and even i was really excited there's a really emotional and really great scene and i'm not saying that like they just need to give us you know uh, any sort of catharsis like we get what we get but like Uh where you are dramatizing a lot of events like you're taking historical things and dramatizing them very heavily so you end up with this really emotional scene between bill and his kid at the ice cream parlor oh yeah where bill essentially just like breaks down as much as he ever has or probably will in front of his kid and is like, like, we haven't talked about anything. I need to know what's going on because you're scaring me and I don't like to be scared. And then the scene just ends and nothing comes of it. It doesn't improve their relationship at all. And I, I struggle, like, again, I'm, I'm not saying that we just deserve to have his kid all of a sudden open up and blossom and whatever, but like, well, it's not even that it needs to be a good ending or whatever it just needs to resolve in some way exactly i had a really hard time seeing how that scene which was a really effective scene contributed to anything and i guess that's my that's my i guess you want to round it out there there are a lot of very interesting and compelling scenes happening across this season but the most compelling scenes don't mean anything Mm -hmm. they're just individually good scenes yeah and even like you have this whole through line of like or not a through line you have this thing at the beginning like really it's only like the first two episodes where uh holden has apparently developed anxiety and that, that ends just... up getting tossed out the window uh we find out that wendy is gay and she has this relationship and and they're really good for each other and they've got these again really compelling scenes great conversations and then it just ends over something small and stupid well yeah it's like wendy does uh, so her girlfriend has a kid right and the dad uh, the girlfriend forgets that she has the kid one weekend so the dad shows up and they're having a conversation and um Kay, the girlfriend says that she's going to introduce the kid to a friend and 
the dad the, the dad gives her a really hard time and is like well is this somebody important and Kay is like no it's nothing and like Wendy all of a sudden becomes a sitcom character where she can't appreciate any sort of nuance. Well, like if you're in a relationship that's like far enough along that you're considering moving in together, a small comment like that isn't going to just disrupt and destroy the entire relationship. And like, I get where Wendy was coming from because I think that the relationship probably wasn't as healthy as we gave it credit for because at the end when they break up, Wendy goes on about this whole speech that like, you're not this enlightened being, you're not who you think you are, you're not free, you're just like the rest of us. And it was like, Wendy had put Kay up on this pedestal of like, free living and free thinking. And then when she realized that there were situations where she needed to alter her behavior, that for some reason that just like ruined Kay in Wendy's eyes, which is totally unfair. And like, I feel like a really immature reaction for somebody who is as intelligent and emotionally self-aware as wendy is well and she's supposed to know things about the way people behave like she's a psychologist like she understands or she's supposed to understand yeah better than most people how people think it's just she just ends up acting really weird and it 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 comes off really out of character and then she as a character just kind of gets tossed out the window for like the last three episodes yeah, like I think she's in the like maybe five minutes total for the last three episodes. And it's literally just her breakup. Yeah. So I guess I guess my, my problem comes from the first season was so tight and focused. And this one, it just, it, it just was pulling on so many different threads. But it didn't pull on any of them to any sort of satisfying conclusion. Mm-hmm. So we ended the season, both of us, feeling unsatisfied. Because even the Atlanta murders, like, although it resolved and like, I mean, yeah, these are like true things that happened. Like the show itself did not resolve in a satisfying way. Well, and even the, and again, maybe that's the point. Maybe we're totally missing the point. And like, because the, the murders in Atlanta didn't actually resolve. Like the guy that caught was only charged with two murders. Yeah. But at the same time, like they had a lot of circumstantial evidence to link him to many, many others. You just can't use that in court. Mm -hmm. But like, even with all that, even like as the audience that we're feeling like, Oh, he's the guy they caught him. Like it just ended. And I was just left feeling like, like, okay, so what? Like, and this I'm saying, maybe, maybe that was the point. I'm not saying that that's like a good point. But I'm saying maybe that's the point that like the investigation ended in a not satisfying way. So maybe that yeah. maybe Fincher wanted to like push that on us and be like, you don't. This is get a com- this ending. is a complicated situation, kind of a thing. I don't know. Uh huh. Yeah. So I mean, there's ways to look at it and understand that maybe that's how it was meant to be. Yeah. But overall, I felt a little unsatisfied because I don't feel like anything that was brought up was properly resolved in my mind. Yeah. Well, and even I, I was thinking about it and I was like, well, Fincher's best movies and his strengths really lie in those intense conversations and not in investigation. Right. Yeah. But then we last night watched Zodiac, which is 
all investigation interspersed with these like really brutal scenes of the killings. Yeah, and it it's a good comparison to this to Mindhunter because it's David Fincher and because it's about a serial killer. Well, I, a lot of his movies are. Yeah. And you like, could say that all of his movies are about sociopaths. So. It's fair. Because <laughs> if you throw Mark Zuckerberg in there. <laughs> and Ridley. But yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's an interesting comparison because I do feel like there were a lot of very similar aspects with the with it being led by like conversations and dialogue. But even though again, the murder didn't really get, it didn't get solved. Like, yeah. Yeah. The Zodiac murder was never solved. Like I left feeling satisfied, very satisfied. And even that, like there's just a lot of similarities because even Zodiac could be split into essentially two movies. Oh Yeah. There's the first half, which focuses a lot more on um, Robert Downey Jr.'s character. And then the second half, with fo- which focuses pretty much entirely on Jake Gyllenhaal's character. And the first half is a lot more action. Like, we see some of the murders yeah. and we feel the intensity that the public is feeling at the time. And then the second half is all, like, years later when everyone's sick of this and it's just Jake Gyllenhaal. And, again, a lot of dialogue and a lot of him just talking to people and but it's, it's, calling people. It's, and, uh, I hate to keep using this word, but it's compelling. You want to watch him yeah. do this. And, and that's what I'm saying. I think that I think that the difference is, is that the themes in Zodiac are consistent where the themes in season two of Mindhunter shift halfway through. Yeah. Like there's, there's very much a through line, uh, through Zodiac. Yeah. Whereas I don't think that that exists in season two of Mindhunter and it, it does in season one. Season one has, like I said, very consistent themes. So, and I think that that's, that's what made it jarring to me is it felt like what the show was about changed halfway through the season and i don't know i just feel like they could have done better like we could have had everything that they had maybe just a little bit less time on the atlanta murders and i think you make the atlanta murders season three yeah i mean you could it just would be a lot different to do an entire season on that like because I, like, I don't know that I would want a whole season on the Atlanta murders. Well, then maybe you do the first half of season three on the Atlanta murders and the second half on them solving something else. I don't know. But that's yeah. what I'm saying is like it went from like research to investigation, which sound like similar things, but they're not. <laughs> well, I was even fine with that. Um change in the story like we said earlier like the narrative flows it works but they just left everything hanging and i think they could have done a better job of bringing the narrative of the first half into the second half absolutely and the second half into the first half like they could have meshed that better yeah those are my thoughts i don't have anything else to say about it yeah i don't know either i think that's pretty much how I From a technical it. standpoint, I'll, I'll point this out. From a technical standpoint, it's amazing. There's oh, really yeah. good cinematography. There's some just incredible shots. They do some really interesting things with focus over the course of the show. Um, 
I didn't li- like, I, I'm trying to decide if I really liked what they did with focus. It was a little weird, but they did it a lot with Bill and his wife. And I think that that was to indicate the divide between them kind of growing where like one of them would be in focus. One of them would be out of focus, but they'd be having a conversation. And they did that a lot with Wendy and her girlfriend too. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. But when it was like, like there's one scene specifically I can remember of Wendy and Kay sitting in the car together and you can see like, it's like up close shot of both of their faces and the focus kept changing mm. and it just was like a little bit like disorienting. Yeah. And okay. Yeah. So I was like paying attention to see the that? focus rather than yeah. the conversation. The music was awesome too. Oh yeah. Music we, was like, really good. Multiple times. Both of us were like, wow, this music is amazing. And again, the scenes where they interviewed people were incredible. The The scene with uh, Berkowitz was incredible. Oh, yeah. The scene with Manson was incredible. The scene with Tex Watson was fantastic. And I also wanted to see more of uh, Wendy and Greg. And Greg sucks. I mean, I don't care that much about Greg, but like, I wanted to see Wendy be able to take over more or like someone else because that's pretty much what happens, right? Is other people are going to start taking over the interviews. Yeah, but not Wendy. I don't think. No, I don't think so. But like I wanted to see more of that transition maybe. I don't know. I just I'm not sure exactly what I want, but it it was almost there. It just didn't quite give me what I wanted. Okay. Out of the show. Let's be clear. If you're on the fence about watching this and for some reason you don't mind having the whole thing spoiled for you, it's not bad we're not saying it's bad no i mean we watched it in three days the we first half it. the first half is incredible the second half is very good but they feel very disparate from each other and a lot of the things from the first half don't get resolved in the second half yes so that's that that is that we're gonna have a short episode this week i guess so we'll we'll see if people like us reviewing tv shows <laughs> yeah if you want to hear us talk more about tv shows um we're definitely going to be doing uh for 31 days of october we're going to take a week and do the haunting at hill house that is one that each people should absolutely which we're very watch. excited for yeah yeah um, but if you want to hear us talk more about tv shows let us know yeah but yeah um anything else um I don't think so. All right. We'll be coming back at you next week. Um, week after that is going to be It, Chapter 2, yes. which we're very stoked for. Um, but yeah, uh, if you want to get in contact with us, you can email us, contact at wewatchpodcast.com. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at wewatchpodcast. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. So go ahead, write in. And I guess that's it. Yeah. All right. We love you. We appreciate you. We thank you. My name is Andrew. I'm Becca. And we'll catch you next week. Bye.